you emotionally react every year to the city series, but I find that my response is kind of the same unless it goes like in the best possible way for me, which as you know, is the worst possible way for you. But I always find that by the third game of the series, I am just mentally spent and just exhausted. And I am looking forward to the whole thing, just being over with and moving on to normal baseball. Do you feel at all the same way? I, I definitely am more emotionally involved. Um, because you like to have the one up on your neighbor, you you know, you want to have that little bit of bragging, right. Or if nothing else at the very, very least, you just don't want to hear it from the other side. Uh, where I work at the, at, at the elevator shop, it's, you know, like 90% of Chicago, it's 90% <laughs> Cub fans. So it's nice when they, when they were up the first two, mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, I don't, I don't have to get any ribbing on Monday. I can just walk in, not have to discuss baseball at all and not, not get any, any flack, you know? So, um, yeah, it's almost a relief if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Can, can, can I guess what, uh, the joke that they must throw at you every time the Sox do poorly would be? <laughs> yes, please. Good to see you, Fritzy. Uh, are we going down today? Just like your socks. <laughs> As like as like yeah, it's uh, you nailed it. That's yeah. uh, I mean that's basic elevator humor, I suppose. One on one there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's you know I get the the same ribbing all the time that the uh, you know socks are great. I wish they had fans. You know stuff like that. I'm like I never cared about attendance. Only Jerry <laughs> Reinsdorf should care about attendance. Absolutely, I I, I would hope not as as a fan, honestly. Uh, and and. To that point, I mean, talking about there being no fans, like even this year I found, and especially because the first two games of the series were so, such White Sox blowouts by the end, that even I I found myself just thinking, I just don't want to hear anything at all from the fans about this series, even in games where there were no actual fans in the goddamn park. Like that's how how deep it runs to my core. And I got to think that uh, I I think it's partly just like a mentally, a, a mental flashback to like you know grade school back even before the days when the city series counted where like even losing the, the exhibition game crosstown classic i just didn't want to go to school the next day and and hear about the 86 socks beating ryan sandberg and the cubs yeah believe me i i remember those crosstown series too where the it was an exhibition game where by the second or third inning there was guys from you know double a throughout the ballpark you know the stars got one at bat you know, and it wasn't like any of the pitchers really spent any time. Uh, yeah, I remember those exhibitions, like getting mad at the manager, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, leave this guy in, you know, like. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, so, doesn't Tony La Russa, doesn't he have a story where he talks about like the first year where like the fans had to explain to him, no, we want you to beat them. Like this is not <laughs> Yeah, like, you know what? If he does, I didn't hear it, but I, I certainly believe it. Like, um, if you're taking a baseball game more seriously than Tony Larusa, something is wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, talk about minor leaguers coming up. Michael Jordan, for God's sake. Like, his greatest baseball moment was in the 94 Crosstown Classic. Yeah, were they, they, who tried to pick him off, too? Um, oh, God. Uh, was it like Mark Cashota? I'm just picking a random, awful cub reliever. Yeah. 
I, I just remember it's like the booze from everybody. Like, oh, you can't try to pick up Jordan. Yeah, what, what I remember funny. about that is when he hit, I think it was he hit the double late in the game. Yes. Mark went nuts. And Harry Carey went nuts on the call. And as, you know, 15-year-old punk Cub fan who was sick of hearing it from White Sox fans because the, the Sox were so good that year, I, part of me was like, fuck you, Harry. White Sox, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> remember, you're pissed at Reinsdorf. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so he I, went I to cable. As anyone. <laughs> yeah, remember Evil Cable, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, uh, I, I read a, a Harry Carey book um, back a few months ago, back when we were kind of just waiting for baseball to start something. Um, and I mentioned that I didn't know this until I read it, that uh, during the 83 pennant or the 83 division celebration, uh, I don't know if it was Hawk or Drysdale in the locker room celebration, asked Jerry Reinsdorf what he would say to Harry Carey. And Reinsdorf was puffing on a cigar and just like looked in the camera. And I forget the exact words he used, but it was like, Harry, you're slime. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Like it was that direct. And, and Harry never forgot it for the rest of his life. So no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was you talk about not a good breakup and Harry had a few that that's one of the worst. Yeah, right. And Reinsdorf is usually pretty uh, loyal and keeps everybody, you know, it's almost like a cult around him, like the people that love Jerry. And yeah, like when it was clear that it was time for Robin to go, like Jerry wasn't going to let Robin leave on bad terms. You know, he made sure that he got through the end of the season and then they reassigned him in the organization. You know, it's so, yeah, I guess he, there's no in, in middle ground, I guess, is what I'm taking from it. Then, you know, that Reinsdorf either really loves you or you're, you're, uh, you're nobody. Yeah. I wonder if part of it was Harry bolting for the Cubs like immediately after he told them he didn't want to be part of the old sports channel cable scheme they had. That maybe because it was such an obvious shot, like I'm going across town and seeing if I can get even bigger, like he never forgave that maybe? It, it absolutely could be because I'm sure that Reinsdorf has the, you know, uh, little brother syndrome that most of the White Sox fans have as well. You know, that I'm sure he sees that ballpark not even 10 miles away filled all the time and his ballpark is, is newer and all that. And it's, and it's empty. Um, yeah. The Cubs are loved here and by many and the stocks <laughs> are loved by a very few, you know, it's, I've, I've come to accept it, you know? <laughs> and uh, I guess acceptance is the best way to provide closure. And that, that's what yes, it's trying absolutely. to go for. It says it, yeah. it embrace Embrace the hate, maybe? Is that what we're yeah. going for? Yeah. All right. You know, right. Yeah. And on, on a note of embrace the hate, let's open the show off that. Why not? Uh, let's this do is it. Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 41, the Lou Pinella episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports and Baseball Prospectus. And this past week, apparently, star of Fox 5 News in New York City at... Uh, the last a week ago today, actually, last Thursday, was when my Tom Brenneman story on Outsports went live. And that morning, got a random tweet from Jennifer Williams on the Fox 5 News Channel in New York City saying, hey, would you like to talk about this on our afternoon newscast? 
And my response in so many words was, fuck yeah. Uh, maybe not <laughs> that directly, but, but the implication was there. And yeah, so I have finally got my New York City credit, uh, my New York City television credit by moving to Chicago, it turns out. It's, well done. Yeah, the, the long game ended up coming into play all along. So uh, yeah, so yeah if cool. anybody wants to check that out, it is on my Instagram at, at Ken Thin Guy, And by all means, please do. It was a very, very fun experience. Very good interview. Uh, but that's not why you called. The other voice you are hearing on the other end of this podcast is friend of the pod and White Sox fan, Fritz Nothnagel, one of my oldest comedy buddies in the damn business. Fritzy, good to see you back. Good to see you, Ken. Thanks for having me. I like talking baseball with you. I've always adored it from like the very beginning, even when we established that we had no use for each other team, others teams back in the old barrel of laughs. Like we found common ground almost immediately. And, uh, and I thought that was great. Yeah. You know what it's uh, I've noticed right from the beginning of our conversations uh, back to the barrel is there are, there are cup fans that I can't talk baseball with because it always ends up into a cub Sox argument. And um, there are Cub fans that I can just talk baseball with that don't have to dig at me and then I don't have to dig back at them. It can be a peaceful, nice conversation. Doesn't mean that I still don't hate your team. (laughs) (laughs) I still like you and I love the sport of baseball. And then we can, we, we have common ground, you know? Yes. You embrace and repress the hate at the same time. And for that, absolutely. Yes. Um, And so I wanted to start today and we actually, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was partly because the city series this past week and partly last week, last week's episode was about the Padres, one of the most exciting young teams in baseball. And this week, the other most exciting young team in baseball far and away are your beloved Chicago White Sox. But I wanted to start uh, by taking a minute uh, just to talk about, I am disappointed in the Cubs, Fritz. Uh, and I know that any Sox fan who would happen to be listening going, ah, yeah, out sports, typical Cub bias, way to go. Uh, to which I respond, um, yes, and suck it. But, uh, but nonetheless, uh, right before we started recording, I, I brought up uh, what happened last night with the Cubs' response to the Milwaukee Brewers uh, essentially be, becoming part of the wildcat strike that began in the NBA and kind of spread throughout pro sports all last night. And... When I saw that, I mean, this is going to be a little bit long as I lead into this, but it's, I think, worth the discussion. When I saw that the Brewers had officially kind of made the announcement that they were joining in with the NBA, I was amazed in the best possible way. Uh, because you and I both know baseball is a pretty damn conservative sport. Like, you expect that kind of activism from the NBA, certainly from the WNBA, which is still kind of leading all of pro sports, Baseball, you always assume that there's like some old either southern white guy or suburban rich white kid in the clubhouse who has too much power, who is always going to kind of hold teams back from kind of collectively taking action like that. So when the Brewers made that decision, like that was for me a seismic moment where baseball said, we know our reputation. We don't care. We know that this is right. We're joining in. And I thought, this is this is phenomenal, and I would really, really like to see the Cubs participate in this. I know that in Jason Hayward, certainly, but also in guys like Anthony Rizzo, the Cubs have guys who are definitely socially aware and have a thought about what's going on in this country. So about 20, 25 minutes before game time, the news hit Twitter 
that Jason Hayward, they were calling a healthy scratch originally. And then it came out that in conversation with David Ross, he had told him that he was not going to play that night and take part in the protest. And my first thought was, I am unsurprisingly so impressed by Jason Hayward. Like that's everything that I expect he would do that when he saw that this was kind of taken hold throughout sports, I, I knew that he would want to be a part of that and I support him hundred percent. I think that's great. Um, and then I kind of started thinking that, okay, Hayward already is doing this. We know who he is. We know who he is. The rest of his team needs to step up for him at this point, because at, right now it looks like Jason Hayward is taking the protest and nobody is there to support him. Now we did find out later on after the game that in the team meeting that he held after talking to Ross, Hayward, in, in Ross's words, told the team uh, that he wanted them to go out and play that night. And, Hay and Hayward also told the media that he encouraged all the players to go out and play that night. So I get it from a certain extent. And, and honestly, there is something that's good about that because one of the things we've learned from Black Lives Matter in this movement is in order to be a good ally, part of that is knowing when to shut the hell up and listen to black voices. And I, I'm sure that a lot of the white players in the Cubs that night were doing that in that team meeting with Jason Hayward. But one thing he also said to the media that really stuck with me, it, it, he said that he encouraged the rest of his team to go out and play that night. But then he also said, I also know I got to do what I got to do. And when I hear him phrase it exactly in that way, what I hear is I'm doing this protest and I, I feel like I'm doing it on my own. And that's the kind of thing where as a teammate, I'd have a real problem letting him do that because that's a moment where you've got to stand by your black teammates and let them know that they are not alone and that they have your support, uh, your unconditional support in moments like this, because we can't know what he's going through and what's going through his mind in a moment like this, but we, we can be there to support him. And the fact that last night, he went into the Cubs dugout during the game because he felt he had to support his team instead of the team standing by him because they felt they had to support him. That's where I have the problem. And I'm hoping that, that a lot of them recognize that in retrospect and going forward, they can kind of learn from this, but it was, it was really difficult. And I, I didn't watch the game last night because of it, honestly. So anyway, I, I that's my thoughts. Wanted to get that out there and uh, yeah. Uh, does that explain kind of why I, I felt the Cubs let Hayward down? Yeah, I absolutely, I, I see your, your point on it for sure. Um, but I, I can't say that I agree hundred percent just because it, I ended up listening to his interview probably two or three times because they played it a bunch on uh, the radio today. And it did sound genuine that he wanted the, the rest of the team to play. And I like your other statement that sometimes you got to listen to the other voices and be like, all right, if this is, you know, how we support them, maybe, maybe we should get out there in between the lines. And, you know, he said, that's why he was on the bench, you know, because he wanted to, um, you know, have his teammates back. Cause he knew, I think that's a quote that he knew that they had his back. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot of, um, I don't, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you, but just personally from the way I listen to it, I, 
I thought that uh, they handled it, you know, I thought it, I, they handled it well because, you know, Hayward brought up the point a couple of times too that some of the other teams had more time to decide whether they were going to, uh, you know, cancel their games, stuff like that. The, the Cubs had an earlier start where they didn't have as much time to to mull it over like uh, I think it was the, the West Coast teams weren't weren't getting their games off so who knows maybe you push that first pitch back even an hour or two and maybe that game's canceled it's you know you can't say for sure but um that's that's what i took from uh listening to his interviews anyway yeah i i definitely get that sense as well and that's because of because this all started happening so quickly uh and it happened started happening within like maybe an hour and a half of, of when the game was scheduled to take place. Yeah. That's definitely not a lot of time to make what is a very drastic decision. Uh, and right. I understand that. Um, uh, and to, to your point about the West coast, um, they definitely had much more time to consider it as teams did. And that's why you saw teams like the Padres and the Mariners, and the Dodgers and giants making the decisions they did not to play last night. I would say that the end product of their ability to make that decision to kind of stand by their black teammates, you saw in what Mookie Betts had to say about, uh, about his team's actions in joining him and not playing that night, where, where he told the media that I always knew that my teammates had my backs, but now it's like I really know they have my backs, even when the chips are down. And, and uh, that's something that, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad that Hayward still feels that his teammates are there for him in, in his time of need. Uh, I guess it's the difference between that and, and hearing Mookie Betts like almost emphatically proclaim that I know that these guys are allies now and, and I can count on them. And, right. and I, I certainly would like to hope that Hayward can count on his guys. And, and I would like to think that if given a little more time to think things through, that, that they would do the right thing. Um, but it's, it's like, it, it just felt last night like the right decision was there in front of you every minute from, from the moment Hayward said he wasn't playing. And, and he, he's, he also admitted that there were guys who told him, several guys, that they did not feel comfortable going out there without him. Right. So it felt like the right thing to do was right in front of you, and it kept being right in front of you, but just no one would make that decision. And it was just it, – it, it's, it's a frustrating thing. As, as, yeah. As a like family. anything in life, sometimes when you're rushed to make a choice – you you don't make the best choice. So yeah. maybe maybe that. A, do you know which team? One of the I read this morning that one of the teams out west um, had decided not to play without conferring with the other team first, and then the other team said, "Well, if you're not playing, then we're not playing." Which two teams were that? Uh, I think that's the Mariners because okay. the Mariners announced it pretty early on. The Mariners also have far and away the most black players on their active roster of any team in baseball. Right, because so, uh, the other team could have said like, "All right, well, we're here on the field," and the other team was like, "No, we're we're not playing either. We're not going to let you forfeit. You yeah. know, we're standing with you." So I, I love that the players were staying united on that front yes. too. And and today, more more and more teams have kind of gotten on board with that uh, and have kind of united around that. The Red Sox, I think, the Twins, and I believe the A's have gotten on to the point where they're they're saying that for the for the time being, right now, they're just not going to take the field until they see some kind of systemic 
change take place. So they're, they're really buying in to the idea of, of a wildcat strike. And, and I find that remarkably admirable, especially mm-hmm. for a team that's doing as well as they are. And that that's a lot that they're putting on the line this year. Uh, and on the subject of people I find remarkably admirable, uh, your guy, Lucas Giolito, the second best thing he did this week was throw a no-hitter, honestly. Uh, yeah. Because he was one of the first in the wake of the, the Milwaukee Bucks news. Like, he was on Twitter within, I want to say, like 20 minutes expressing his support. And I unequivocally support the NBA players and their actions right now. And, I mean, he was one of the first, like, even before the Brewers, I think, to to – offer his his full-throated support of that uh so you know we knew go even before that that he was a pretty awesome guy but i mean somebody who steps up like that that's that's like sean doolittle territory right there yeah he seems like a pretty classy dude um and also he's always had the i guess reputation of being a very cerebral pitcher so i guess with that uh you know that's uh, coming up with the wrong words here. Personnel. With that thoughtfulness yeah. on the mound, apparently it's part of just who he is always, you know? Um, yeah. The, he's, he really comes across as a great dude. Just even this stuff aside, uh, the fact that he didn't lose confidence in himself after being literally the worst pitcher in baseball in 2018 and coming back last year and being an all-star – and be, getting any votes for the Cy Young, it was incredible. So I, I give the dude, he's definitely mentally strong yes. to be able to bounce back from that because the Sox were like, nope, we need somebody to pitch these innings. We know you're getting clobbered. We hope you're learning from it. Mm. Uh, we're not sure. Because going into 19, they weren't sure whether he was going to have a spot in the rotation. Wow. And then he goes from, uh, maybe not being in the rotation to being an all-star and their opening day starter in 2020. So his story just just on, on the field is pretty incredible. And then that no-hitter was was fantastic. Uh, even the, I'm sure the, uh, you know, the inning or so that they lost power on, <laughs> on uh, TV, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that that was great I, I, too. But um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I guarantee you it is the first no-hitter in history to be partially broadcast exclusively on Twitter. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, Jason Benetti, and, and good on him, like immediately like, got on board and said, okay, here's a play-by-play until power starts again, which, I mean, he, he's he the best already. and Stone are a, are a fantastic broadcast. It's so yeah. fun to watch them uh, or listen to them just put the game uh, into real words. So, you know, kind of give you a a peek into what the the pitcher's thinking. I always get uh, from Steve Stone. He, he really breaks the game down wonderfully, even from uh, the batter's perspective. Because I don't, I don't know, but it, he's like, oh, it, when these guys were facing me, this is maybe what they would have done, you know. So mm-hmm. he really does a, a fantastic job, and just the real good play-by-play that. Benetti does and the fantastic sense of humor that he brings to the game and the way that the two work together. I couldn't be happier with the, the broadcast team for the White Sox. It's been a real, real plus. Yeah. I, I tuned in the, the afternoon game yesterday, the day after the no, no hitter, just to check him out and do a bit of research for the pod. And uh, Cole Tucker from the Pirates led off very first pitch, lining a single up the middle off of Dallas Keuchel. 
And Jason Benetti just laughs. That, like, that's the extent of the play-by-play he did as soon as that happened, which could not be more perfect, honestly. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, uh, were you watching the no-hitter? Um, I watched most of it until it was time to put the, the kids to sleep. And then I finished, uh, you know, doing that, uh, you know, the bedtime stories and such. And then I checked my phone and saw zeros across the board. And I was like, oh, he finished it. Good for him. So That's great. Yeah, I was certainly, certainly happy for him and uh, excited as a Sox fan just to, to have another one in the books. It was fun. Oh, absolutely. Did, did you get a sense at a certain point before you had to put your kids to bed that this might be something special tonight? Well, a couple of the strikeouts, I was like, oh, if he can keep doing this, if the people keep getting way out in front of that changeup, then this, this could be a lot of fun. But uh, I've also been at a game where it looks fantastic, and then in the eighth inning, somebody leads off with a, with a single – you know, or a little broken bat thing. That's the best and sometimes the worst part about baseball is <laughs> sometimes the best hit ball of of the day is an out. It's just a loud, a loud out or a line drive right at somebody. Yep. Um, and sometimes the worst hit ball of the day it breaks a bat and it ends up being the, the game-winning RBI. It's, mm-hmm. it's maddening, but it's <laughs> also what makes it wonderful. Yeah, and sometimes the best hit ball of the day is the final out of a no-hitter, as it was right. in Milito's case. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think Benetti, no, he probably wouldn't have said this about Marazza, but or Mazzara, but if Mazzara was out there in right field, that's, uh, that's down. Like, hmm. Angle, Adam Angle sometimes drives me crazy at the plate, but defensively he's a wonderful fielder, and he, I was very happy that he was out there for that catch. Because he's he's certainly a plus defender. Absolutely. Was he starting that game that night, or was he double switched in at some point? I think he I think he got switched in, but I don't I don't I don't remember for sure. Yeah, because I mean that's that's why when you hit like the eighth inning of a no hitter, you see the manager put like the very best defensive alignment out there because you just want to make sure you're taking no chances with a no marmers right out, just in case. I want to throw out a couple of comps too in terms of Lucas Giolito at you and. I think you'll like them more and more as I name the, the three guys, just in terms of like the baseball story that he represents to me. I'm going to say Jake Arrieta, Zach Greinke, Roy Halladay. Okay. Just in terms I, of each guy was someone who in his first few years uh, looked utterly lost, like completely. Uh, like Halliday uh, is the one that, that first springs to mind when they talk about Giolito's was his ERA in the sixes in 2018. Yes. Yeah. Halliday, his first full year with the Blue Jays, had an ERA of 10. Wow. And, yeah. Ended up getting sent down, not just to the minors, but to class A in the minors because they told him, you've got to like rebuild everything and put in the work, uh, developed kind of the kind of ace pitcher mentality you need and came back and was just the Roy Halladay who would throw complete games every time out and win two Cy Youngs and throw perfect games. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's rare to see because a lot of times in baseball, when you see somebody who's touted as, as a mega prospect like that and they fizzle at the big league level, you rarely see them kind of get it together when it's that bad. But every now and again, you see like a Jake Arrieta who, after leaving Baltimore, finally gets told, okay, Let's pitch this 
let's pitch games the way you want to pitch them and not how your coaches told you. And that's all they need to say, okay, here we go. And then you get 2015 where he's the best pitcher I've seen since I've ever seen. And maybe. Yeah. He was untouchable. That year. Was yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. Um, and so in Giolito's case in 2018, you mentioned a couple times how cerebral and how much he thinks on the mound. And we know kind of how baseball people approach smart, smart players, uh, and how you kind of get ostracized if you have a thought in the game. Was there like a lot of talk in that year that maybe he was overthinking things a bit too much? Um, I remember just talking amongst friends like that I was done seeing him. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't deal with it anymore. We also knew that we weren't going to be good. So I can't say that I was hanging at or watching every game at that point. Right. But it, it did get to the point where you'd look at the, the lineup, like who was pitching that night. And you're like, all right, that's not going to be a good one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I can't say that I, I saw it coming um, at all, but when he started stringing together a couple good outings last year, I was like, God, I, I hope this, I hope this can last, you know, cause he was a, I think first overall, or at least I know he was a nationals first round draft pick, but mm-hmm. I, I just don't know where in the first round that he was picked, mm-hmm. but the, the fastball's always been there. And, uh, just from the other night, his, his changeup was looking fantastic. So, um, you can't even believe that it's the same guy that was in 2018 because he was yeah. terrible in 2018. Yeah, and it's it's like the light goes on, and all of a sudden, somebody that you'd written off as well, this guy's just kind of is now a placeholder until somebody better comes along, now becomes the guy that you build a team around, and that's just such an exciting revelation almost. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up Granky too because I remember his debut with the Royals, hmm. and I well I don't know whether it was the debut or the first time I ever seen him pitch against the Sox, and. It was incredible. Like I was watching this stuff. I'm like, how does anybody ever hit this dude? Yeah. And th- he had like two or three really good starts to start the year. And then he was, I think he took like a year off of baseball. Yeah. He had uh, some pretty major anxiety issues, I think. Yeah. It was crazy. Like um, at the time, Harrelson was still calling the games. He's like, this guy's throwing Nintendo stuff up there that nobody can hit, <laughs> you know? And I'm watching the, like, I was like, nobody has a chance up there. And, uh, yeah, and then I was so shocked to see not even uh, later that season, he was out of the big leagues. I was like, I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, guys, guys that show you the stuff that they've got. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes that first go-round, as, as we've been talking about, really just gets to them. And, uh, and they've got, in Grinky's case, obviously, that he has some mental problems mental anxiety issues to work through, but some guys, it's, it's just a matter of, geez, how do I figure out how to approach this job at the big league level? Cause it's, it's right. so, the challenge is so big and so different. And honestly, I'm surprised Hawk would make a Nintendo reference. Cause that sounds dangerously close to topical for him. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe, maybe his grandkids asked for one <laughs> for uh, Christmas and he wasn't uh, sure. So like I give Hawk credit for a Coleco vision maybe, but uh, Nintendo <laughs> good on you Hawk. That's within the past 20 years. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something I, yeah, I forgot how, uh, until you brought that up, I forgot how good Granky was at, yeah. uh, 
at his outset. So yeah, but it, it really took until I think it was that 2009 year where he really just put it all together for the Royals, and everybody realized this guy is just maybe the biggest badass in the game. And it's yeah, as you say, that was a full year where it was like I don't know how anybody hits this. Right. And and it's it's weird to think that Zach Greinke having such anxiety issues because. I mean, he's the player now most associated with don't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. Did you see the picture from this past week of when the, I think it was in San Diego, and they had to work on the mound in the middle of the game? And no. so he just went to the grass right at the edge of the mound, just kind of sat down and watched the groundskeepers. It was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, when you're ready, I'm good to go. Yeah, good for him, man. That's... He's, yeah, he's awesome. Life's too short to be stressed. Yes, and there there are endless great Zach Greinke stories too. That there are articles that that honestly just Google Zach Greinke, Google Zach Greinke stories, and good stuff will pop up on that. Nice. Uh, so I also wanted to talk about um, so Jose Abreu. You ever see a series that good from anybody like he was this weekend? My no, God, that was incredible. Oh. Four, I think it was four home runs in a row. Uh, yeah. Like, you do that in a game, you're a legend. But you do that over two games, it's still... Yeah, I literally, the, uh, the night that he hit the three homers, I, I looked at my wife, I'm like, wow, he's having a really good week tonight. You know, I was, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Yeah. Because um, it was funny, they mentioned this on the radio too, but I noticed it right away watching the game, is when Darvish threw the home run to him, he looked like, all right, what are we supposed to do? He's like, I threw <laughs> one at his, an- at his ankles. <laughs> Yeah, and he still put it out of the park, you know. Yeah, that that's you this year, I think. You Darvish this year knows how good he is and how dominant he is. So if if you're beating him like that, so like yeah, that's just throw up your arms and go. Okay, I, right. I know I'm good, but this guy right now don't know, don't have an idea. Right. It, it, I, I have 12 pitches and none of them can get him out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, and for a guy that's really uh, wants. I mean, seems to really want to be on the White Sox uh, where there was talk of them not re-signing him and stuff like that. He's like, I'll re-sign myself. He's like, I'm coming back. You know, he's wow. like, I, I, I went through some really lean years. I want to be around for this. And I respect the fact that he really does want to stick around and win. And, um, you know, there's a, a few Cuban players on the White Sox right now that are part of that core and if they're more comfortable around each other, uh, God bless them, you know. I could totally understand it, yeah. Yeah. And, and what a compliment to what that organization has pulled off over the past three or four years to have someone say, okay, this is the free agency I've earned, and I've been through a lot of tough times, but I see what you're doing, and I want to be part of that reward at the end too. As yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that's a compliment to Rick Hahn and to everybody who's kind of seen this whole thing through. Yeah. The only and the only move I didn't I thought didn't make any sense uh, was the Encarnacion move hmm. because I was like, all right, if you have a Brayu that's going to be your first base or your uh, sometimes and they were at that point they were already talking about Grandal getting some uh, spots at DH and at first base and then that was going to give McCann more at bats behind the plate or at first base or DH. I was like, all right, if you're going to have those kind of be like a three-headed monster, when they brought in Encarnacion, it did what I thought it was going to do, which kind of pushed McCann 
to a backup role. Hmm. And now he's going to be Giolito's caddy pretty much. Um, I can't see them ever breaking that, um, you know, that pairing up again. Right. Uh, they started the year with Grandal um, and Giolito, and that was his terrible start. And since then, it's been McCann, and he's been much better. So I don't know the magic that they're working together, but, you know, just from baseball um, superstition, stick <laughs> with what works, you know? Yeah. And McCann is a better hitter than just a backup catcher too, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 He was a, he better over 300 last year. Uh, it had, you know, so, uh, he was an all-star. I know that doesn't always mean a, a ton, but he was, he was a really good ball player for a team that's been looking for a catcher since uh, Przinsky left. Mm-hmm. It was nice to have James McCann last year. You know, it was a reliable bat and a good catcher where you're like, all right, we found our guy. And believe me, I'm not upset that we got Grandal, but I thought that they were going to work the mix a little differently. Yeah, ever since Przinsky left, they've been desperately looking to fill that hole in asshole above replacement. So, <laughs> Like Ozzy said, he's like, about Przinsky, he's like, uh, if he's on the other team, you hate him. If he's on your <laughs> team, you hate him a little less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, if... if you're his trainer. Sometimes he needs you in the groin. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. That was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So did they sign Encarnacion because they thought that it would just kind of add one more bat to an already kind of already potent lineup just to give a sense of there is no out, easy out in this? That That's what I think. I agree with that. Um, and this last couple of weeks, it's it's looked like the right move. So, yeah, it's, and I think they were thinking, you know what, there's a, there's a bat on the street. We can give him a one-year contract with an option for a second. There's, there was a, kind of a no-lose on that one. Mm-hmm. And especially um, in an offseason where so many teams were reluctant to make any moves. Like the Twins right. were Donaldson, the Indians did nothing, and then you really don't care about the Tigers or Royals at this point because they're so far away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess if you've got that chance to bring in the extra bat and maybe accelerate uh, this part of the rebuild to the point where you might put yourself over the, over the top this year, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't love, I didn't love it at first, but I definitely when he's been hitting these last uh, couple of weeks and – it's tough to tell from TV, but his teammates seem to love him, you know, doing the, the parrot on the shoulder as he wrote, wrote to, you know, rounds the bases. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Yeah. I can completely, completely understand that. And I remember how fun it was in 2015 for the Cubs. So, I mean, that this, as we've talked about before, probably several times, this is one of the best times to be a baseball fan when it all starts coming together and you realize, yep, Next few years are going to be great, but right now they are, they are, they're there and it's, it's, you, you've arrived and it's, it's yeah. such a satisfying feeling. I've talked to other Sox fan friends of mine and I've said, you know what? It's just fun to be fun again. Yes. Instead of having to deal with, um, uh, who was the, there was a pitcher that they kept bringing out. Uh, I mean, that could be anybody. Uh, yeah. Whoever it was. Like, how is he getting another chance? You know, and so for for a couple of years, Dylan Covey, like, yeah, um, I was like, how does this guy still have a job? You know, but um, those those years are are behind us now, and we have legitimate major leaguers. There was, 
you know, there was, I'm sure there were super nice guys for, <laughs> for the last couple of years, but it's, it's so fun to just be fun again. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's like, like the ultimate, like we both know that the worst thing you can possibly say about another comic when you're talking to other comics is, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan crowd, the, yeah, he's a good guy of pictures. The crowd, the crowd likes him. <laughs> <laughs> Except in this case, I'm going to guess not so much knowing Sox fans. Yeah, right. Uh, and I, I don't mean to uh, rain a little bit on the parade of, of kind of how good it feels to be right now, but we did have an interesting text exchange over the weekend that I wanted to touch base back on. Uh, and I'll start by asking this. Did you see what Fernando Tatis Jr. did today? I did not. He hit one on top of the goddamn Western Metal Supply Building in Petco Park. Of course he, he did. He hit the roof. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna break a little news on your show for you. Uh, he's Fernando Tatis Jr. is really good at baseball. <laughs> there um, you go. This is the he, analysis you tune in for. Yes, he is really good. Um, oh man, like yeah. Anytime you're at least in Mike Trout's stratosphere at any point in the season, you're doing something right baseball wise. And I gotta yeah. tell you, before we kind of dig into what what we talked about with the trade, <laughs> the one thing that I think about just as a uh, I don't know if this is petty or just weird. As, as a Cub fan watching him, but Fernando Tatis has a very good chance to become the greatest number 23 in baseball history. And as a Sandberg fan, I'm not sure I'm okay with that. <laughs> Although he's, he, he's, he's held it for a good 30 or 40 years at this point now. So eh, yeah, if you give it up to Fernando, that, that that's fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. He um, had his moment in the sun. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's done all right for himself. I think Rhino is going to be okay in the end overall. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, uh, you texted me over, I think it was the Sunday game this weekend, and, and asked me what I thought was a very interesting question. That uh, You asked me if I'm still mad at Eloy, or if I still feel bad when he does well because the trade is turned out, out to be so one-sided in favor of the Sox, because you still feel a bit of pain when you hear Fernando Tatis just hit the goddamn roof of the Western Metal Supply Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... I uh, the way I feel about it that because we only got James Shields from it, mm-hmm. uh, I, I look back and I'm like, God, we could have had that guy, and and it's it's believe me, it's not even all that often that a guy on the West Coast gets into the headlines almost daily. Yeah, you know, sometimes Kershaw and Trout will go unspoken of because their game finished after we already went to bed, but Tatis has been just he's so young and so talented that you look and you're like, Oh, we traded him away for a, you know, a guy that was, I'm sure he tried hard, but uh, (laughs) he was was not good anymore. And I, I mentioned to you that the only silver lining of that was that trade, I think was the straw that broke the camel's back for the white Sox that they're like, all right, we're done giving away the farm literally and we're going to build the farm back up by trading away the couple pieces that we have left mm-hmm. and after they acquired james shields then they traded uh chris sale then they traded um you know adam eaton i still can't believe we got anything for adam eaton <laughs> so let alone the fact that we got giolito and um lopez lopez may turn out to be okay mm-hmm. um and i think Dane Dunning came with that too. Uh, so we got like 
two starters and a reliever for Adam Eaton. That's like he deserved GM of the year just for that trade. Yeah, they, they traded Eaton at like the very best time to do it, I think, because he put up a war number the year before they traded him that I don't think he's come anywhere close to because his defense in right field is, is such a valuable thing to have. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of timing, yeah, you can't do any better than that. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of reminiscent of Theo kind of trading off Scott Feldman after 15 or so serviceable, pretty good starts at the time where he realized, oh, I can nab Jake Arietta and see what's there. Like that, that's the comp to me that I, that I hear just yeah. that trade. Yeah, I remember Feldman's start to that year. I was like, wow, he actually is pretty good. And then, you know, like you said, they, they were able to dangle him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that might also have something, you know, something to do with the Encarnacion thing where if they had a, you know, just an okay start to the year, that could have been a bat that they were dangling at the deadline too, you know. So that might have – but now I'm digressing back to a previous <laughs> point. But All right. Um I also think that uh, the White Sox recognized the Nationals had a big need for a guy who can pantomime a racing car in the dugout. So yes, absolutely, yeah, jump on it when you got. And the they they needed somebody with a, another beard in their outfield. So they're <laughs> like, you know what? We have a guy that will do that. <laughs> hey guys, uh, I'm gritty and grindy. I've got facial hair. <laughs> do, uh, do you ever, uh, when you watch this year's team, stop and think? what it would look like if they had Tatis Jr. Because even with, you know, Eloy and Lewis, Lewis Robert, who we barely discussed, by the way, who is amazing. He uh, is really great. But, yeah, they could probably also find room for maybe the best player in baseball in 2020, I would think. Yeah, I would imagine. I, I have pictured it where I, I see Tim Anderson as the second baseman and then uh, Tatis as the shortstop and then – um, yeah, just enjoying that for the, the, the next 10 years to come. But um, as it is, I really do love Tim Anderson as our shortstop. Yeah. And before Madrigal got hurt, I was really loving that uh, double play combination. Like, mm. they already seem to work well together. Madrigal's really good in the field. And a, so far, he's been putting the ball in play for hits. So hopefully that continues. But uh, if nothing else, he's a really fun number nine hitter and he plays really good second base defense. And on a team full of thumpers, it's nice to have, you know, one slappy guy. Why not? Yeah. And, and actually, Tim Anderson has also got pretty elite contact skills too, right? Yes. Yeah, he was last year's batting champion. Um, and um, so far, I was, I was thinking it's going to be a tough thing to repeat but he seems to still be uh, working counts and getting the pitch that he wants and then putting it in place. So it's not like he's just swinging first ball every time. He is really working the count and, you know, picking the pitch that he wants. And he's playing – he's spraying it to all fields. He's he's re- really been just a really good hitter. Yeah. There, there are still guys who are just good batting average on balls and play hitters that uh, – that was Derek Jeter for his entire career. Ichiro certainly right. was one of these guys. So, and especially in today's game, if you happen to have somebody who has got elite contact and is able to spray line drives and, and somebody they can't shift against, you are foiling so many defensive and pitching strategies right now that, that that's, that's really a weapon in 2020. Yeah. Finally, um, 
who is the guy like among all these exciting players that we've named who is the guy that you enjoy watching the most who is just the most fun for you to watch right now um Eloy has been the most fun to watch for me uh Eloy I'm in my heart don't you Fritzy yes you were waiting uh, because we got him because we got him from the stupid Cubs uh we got (laughs) two decent relief innings out of Quintana yesterday (laughs) but he genuinely seems like he's having the most fun out of anybody all the time like he's got a, a huge looks like a genuine smile on his face all the time nice and even uh, Luis Robert cut across almost into left field exactly where uh, Aloy was standing waiting for the ball and caught the ball in front of Eloy. And like, he just stood there like, really, when's it my turn to catch a ball, you know? <laughs> and, but just really did it with a uh, good sense of humor. And he really, he really just comes across as a, a fun dude and nice. he hits the ball a mile. So <laughs> that's, that's fun as well. You know, that's he awesome. just, He's, he does seem like he's really enjoying it, and that makes it enjoyable to watch on TV. That, that's really great. And I, I love that he's almost got like a camera take where it's like, yeah, my center fielder is too good at baseball, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Fritzy, do you have anything to plug while I still got you here? Um, I have nothing to plug currently. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe next time. I'm uh, working on a podcast uh, now that maybe I'll uh, get up and running by the next time we get together. I would love to hear it. That is any any time uh, you come out with something. I've, I've always enjoyed the stuff you produce, my friend. Uh, so yeah, um, this has put a smile on my face for the past forty minutes. Fritzy, thank you very much for joining me. Awesome, happy to do so, brother. Uh, always a joy to talk baseball with you. 